Welcome to Show Your Scars with me, Jordan Angeli. Using my experience as a former professional athlete, I will take you inside the journey back from a devastating injury. Although we may not choose for this to happen to us, we appreciate who we become in the process. Now, let's dive into this week's episode as we share our strength and show our scars with pride. Hello, Show Your Scars. It feels good to bring you guys another podcast. I love hearing your feedback. I love hearing what you have to say, who you want us to interview. So thank you for rating, reviewing, and giving us a little bit of information in those reviews on iTunes. It really helps not only us try to reach out to those people you want to hear from, but it helps other people listen in. And that's the goal here, right? It's to allow other people to find their strength within their recovery journey. And I think the more you listen to other people and the more you hear people's stories like this on Show Your Scars, the more you're inspired to know that that power and that belief is within each and every one of us. Speaking of which, I have an amazing guest today. Josh Perry is an extraordinary human. He oozes positivity and light and is inspirational throughout this whole podcast. So Josh is a pro BMX rider and has competed in some of the world's biggest competitions as far as BMX goes, the Dew Tour, X Games, and he's even performed for troops stationed overseas. Josh, just like your story, his is unique. He is currently living with four brain tumors. You heard me right, four brain tumors. Josh is a fighter and has come back from not only an ACL injury just a few years ago, but brain surgery as well. In this podcast, Josh talks to us about how he got into BMX, how he was on top of his game when he is diagnosed with a brain tumor, how life as an athlete is just training us to get back up again, and the lifestyle change he made in implementing a ketogenic diet that changed his recovery process, not only from his ACL, but it has significantly impacted his brain health as well. Guys, you're going to love this conversation. Josh Perry inspires throughout. Here he is. Welcome, Josh. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you because you have a very unique story. You know, I think one of the coolest things about life really in general, but when we talk about these injury recoveries or recoveries is we have commonalities within what we're doing, but everybody's story is so unique. And I think it's cool to acknowledge the intricacies and the details of like each individual story. So I'm excited for you to be able to share a little bit of what's gone on when you, for you in your life. But I think where I want to start originally is let's go back to growing up. You grew up in Massachusetts and what was your life like growing up? Were you involved in a lot of sports? Yeah. So born and raised Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I got into T-ball when I was, you know, a couple years old and that progressed to little league and then basketball and let's see, then I got into skateboarding and rollerblading, and then that's when I learned about, you know, the BMX bikes out of the park. But yeah, at that time, you know, I was always playing some kind of sport, whether it was, you know, on my bike, skateboard or basketball, baseball, and then moving into end of middle school and beginning of high school, I started get, um, getting into landscaping and doing that to make some money and actually went to a technical high school to be trained with landscaping and um, take over the job and start my own one day. So kind of my first 17 years was just kind of living the Cape Cod lifestyle. That's interesting. Um, but it also makes me think and having spoke with you a little bit before this podcast, know that like you're a hard worker and it seems like that has been something that's top that you've had since your, your childhood. Yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. My, my family has always been about hard work and effort. You know, my mom specifically never really cared about how well I did her grade in high school mm-hmm. and, or school in general. She just really cared about how much effort I was putting in there. So if I got a B or a C, but I wasn't slacking, I just was trying, then that's, that's what she, she cared about. And then that translated over to, you know, working and making money for myself. And then of course I naturally just, you know, went to sports. So my dad, you know, being really into sports and just, you know, work hard if you if you enjoy it, cool, but just work hard. Yeah. And, and then that led to BMX. 
Well, I, I want to f- see where that transition happened because, you know, growing up in Cape Cod, very, I feel like there's so many baseball leagues there, right? Summer, summer leagues and stuff like that. And um, so baseball seems like a obvious like first sport, but then you mentioned like you saw people playing sports or doing BMXing on, at the park or where, where did you first get into that? Yeah, so I should say also another sport that I totally forgot about, which is a big part of my life, was in the winter. I was in a bowling league, and no. you know Cape Cod. People think of the uh, you know the summers and the beaches, but in the winter, it's pretty cold and pretty <laughs> you know scarce of people. So uh, basketball and bowling actually took over my winters. But um, with BMX, you know, I've been to skate parks before, and mostly just skateboarding and rollerblading, and. Then I saw, you know, some um, my older cousin and some of his friends riding some of the ramps, and they're actually pretty good. And then I saw it on TV, you know, X Games and all that. And then for my 13th uh, Christmas, I asked for a BMX bike, and I got one, and it just took off from there. So were you always a, a thrill seeker as a, a kid, or how, you know, for me, those those action sports like that are so intense and you have to have a different mindset about you don't you think oh yeah no of course like you definitely it's it's really it's mostly mental uh obviously there's the tricks there's a natural talent there's the effort but it's the majority of any action sport is really mental and i remember my mom's always told me from a young age i'd be on the countertops or some some reason and i would jump off and like tell her to catch me or I go down, she loves telling this story, I go down the driveway on my plastic tricycle and I get to the end of the driveway and yell bail and just like, you know, jackknife it and jump off. And like, so from what I from what I can tell, I've always been kind of living on the edge. Yeah, that is hilarious and I love that that's mom's favorite story to tell because yeah. it's true. I feel like you just have to have a little, a little bit something different about you if you're going to throw yourself around on a bike or a skateboard or anything like that. So you started, you got your BMX bike, but when did you realize it was your thing? Like, when did you realize that you could potentially do this for a career and that was what you felt like you really wanted to do? So I had a really tight group of friends growing up that we rode BMX and I always kind of seemed to be in like the middle of the pack skill level and it wasn't until I was 16 where I started to really progress and really focus on progression and entering contests and it was when I won my first amateur contest I think I won 150 bucks and then I won another one that summer in like a regional division for amateur riding and won an all paid expenses you know all all expenses paid trip for my mom and I to fly out to Portland Oregon to compete with the top 10 U.S. amateurs, and it was at that point where I, uh, you know, realized, like, all right, so there's, you know, there's something to this, and I see what these professionals are doing in the magazines and the movies and, you know, online and all this stuff, like, that's what I want to do, and I'm seeing success now, and I really just went all in on it, and it, if it wasn't for this ultimatum I got from my boss uh, telling me, all right, between working for me or going to the contest, because I was taking days off on the weekends, like uh-huh. Fridays and stuff. If it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have really jumped in like I did. But it was like that moment where I was like, all right, I need to make a choice because I'm, I'm making money. I'm getting sponsorships now. I'm getting flown everywhere. And the next year, I started riding professionally. And that's when I got the ultimatum. And I was like, man, I, I'm not going to have time to do this when I'm older. The body is not going to be the same. And this is an opportunity that I can't pass. So that's when it you know, clicked. And I just you know, went all in, took that leap of faith. And, mm-hmm. yeah. So you were 17? Yep, I was 17, and that's when I actually, like I said, I went all in. I missed my uh, senior year. I uh, missed the first two months of class, so I got expelled. And they were like, hey, you can come back next year if you want, no worries, but you missed the first two months of school. So <laughs> my mom my mom didn't even realize that I had school. I totally forgot because I was traveling all over the place. And, yeah. Um, then I was like, all right, well, screw school. I'm going to move to Greenville, North Carolina, and train with Dave Muir in the pros. And see how this goes right. and I remember I uh, got my GED a couple of years later my mom like you know she was crying she never yeah. thought I'd do that and, but um, yeah it's, I was 17 when I moved to uh, North Carolina yeah so let's talk about that because I don't know much about BMXing but I think everybody knows Dave Mira and knows that name what was that experience like for you to be able to train with him and look up to someone you know be next to someone day in day out who you've looked up to 
is it was amazing and i was about 12 or 13 when i first uh i think i was 12 when i first met him he was doing his espn dave mirror super tour around the states and <laughs> they went to an indoor park in rhode island so we drove out there and met him and uh, i have pictures of him and everything I, i've showed him it's pretty funny but um to be able to meet him again as an older teenager and now a competitor but then to be in the town he lived in riding his private you know training facility him coaching me and mentoring me and then like you know hanging out outside of riding it was like i don't know like it was a dream come true and some like i never imagined i would be friends with dave i just thought you know maybe one day i'll be able to compete with him but yeah to hang out with him to be at his house and like his wife to know me his kids like it was mm-hmm. just it was phenomenal but like really to have that that mentorship and the support from him um it was, yeah it's crazy yeah and the first few years of your career were you know, you got to do all these things that you probably dreamt of, of. Can you give maybe some of those bucket list items to the people listening about some of the things you got to accomplish in the places that you got to go, the things that really stick out the most to you? So the first two things were I got to ride the Dew Tour, which was our biggest contest series back then. It no longer is a BMX contest series, but that was amazing because that's what I really started, you know, seeing more of when uh, before I moved to North Carolina. So to be a part of that and to um, you know be a part of the tour, the top 24 riders in the world, like that was you know, amazing. And then the other thing was, you know, dream come true, Road X Games. Like never, like, that was the goal, but I never imagined I'd actually get an invite. And I remember getting the invite and just being like, wow, like this is, I don't know what to say, like, this is crazy, this is so awesome, and you know. So those are the two, you know, you quote unquote bucket list items for an action sports athlete. But then what was never, never approached in my mind that I would be in Iraq performing for the troops or Mm. go to India multiple times or Saudi Arabia and all these different exotic countries to ride my bike, like getting paid to go ride my bike (laughs) in these countries. And it's just, you know, even now reflecting on it, it's just, it's, it's, it's something I never would have imagined, but it just goes to show like, if you put everything you have into something that's backed by passion and you, you know, are persistent and you work hard, like there's so many things that you can't even imagine that will you know, come into your life. Right. And when you're talking about those, the go, getting invited to those different tours, like the Do Tour and X Games, it, it seems like it's a really unique community as well. Like you guys really sacrifice you know you put your bodies on the line every time you perform but it seems like it's not a place where you guys are like really competing against each other like you're almost cheering each other on hoping for the best for each athlete is that a a reasonable like conception that I have it from what I've seen on tv oh 100% yeah no like there's so much risk involved that obviously it's a contest when you're at the contest but right. you are competing to do the best you can and to place the best you can, but you never want the other, you know, rider to do poorly or to fall or to get hurt or something. So it's like, we're all friends too. Yeah. It's such a small tight community. Like we all know each other either fairly well or really well. And yeah, we all want to see each other succeed. So it's, it's like that support system and really even like at home training, it's like this, you feed off one another, like, oh, you did that trick, and I know you've been working on it, or you haven't done it yet, like, oh, man, I'm pumped up now, I want to do this, and, like, right. it's just, uh, it's different than when I was playing baseball and basketball, and just a different sense of, I guess, support and competition. It, it is, and it's something that I've noticed with mostly, I would say, action sports, like skateboarding, BMXing, you see it with snowboarding in the Olympics, there's just, like, a camaraderie within the athletes that it's an individual sport so you would think it would be super competitive in the sense of like people wouldn't like each other but it actually seems like everybody really is supportive of one another yeah no 100 i mean like you have those rare relationships that may be yeah. a little you know on edge with people but that i mean you can't avoid That's that life. Any of life. <laughs> so yeah but yeah. for the most part you know everyone's either civil or friendly you know so yeah Cool. So a, f- a few years later, you started to notice some changes in your health. When did you realize that w- that something was really wrong? So it was around, the, it was the same year I rode X Games in 2009. And I just had been getting, you know, these crazy headaches and uh, nausea and, you know, doubled vision and vision loss and like all these crazy things on and off throughout the year. 
and I've gone to the emergency room and the urgent care, you know, multiple times just to leave with another pain pill prescription mm-hmm. and denying of a, a scan. You know, they're, you're healthy, you're young, you're an athlete, you're fine. You just have headaches here, take these, this will help. Um, so it was around then that I, I knew something was wrong, but I was at the same time, you know, being suggested that there wasn't anything wrong. It was just in my head, you know, go figure. Uh, but uh, from these medical professionals and you're like, I know, I it's, it, it is in know? my head. It is my head. Yeah. <laughs> and I never would have imagined what it was, but yeah. I knew something was wrong. And I ignorantly was like, hey, should we do like a scan, you know, MRI, CAT scan, x-ray, something? Because you're telling me I'm fine. But then I'm taking these pills or I'm not taking them because they, they make me throw up. So it was just, mm-hmm. it was when they were that severe, I took them. But I was like, but I'm not. Like, I'm still having a symptom. You're telling me my vision's fine, but I can't see well and I'm throwing up for no reason. And one time I actually threw up so much that I burst blood vessels in my stomach and throat that I didn't know that's what the cause was, but I was throwing up like oh just gosh. blood. And I was like, oh, I'm dying. Like he's saying I'm fine, but now I'm dying. Oh. Um, but really what it did, what it, what it took was in March of 2010, I fell one day while training and uh, went to my shoulder and hit my head like whiplash and got knocked out for a little bit and then had to get an MRI. And that's when they said, yeah, there's no swelling or bleeding from, you know, the concussion or anything like, but there's a very large mass taking up a good portion of the left side of your brain that shouldn't be there. And then that's when, you know, we found out that I had a massive brain tumor. Wow. What was that moment like? I mean, going from, was, I I just can't even imagine what that was like for you to think, okay. I'm, I'm calling for this scan, right? I know something's not right. And then, you know, the circumstance of ha- circumstances happen where you do get this scan and then that's what they tell you. What was that? How do you swallow that? So I was just turned 21 the November before, um, living, you know, living with friends, but no family. And I'm in the urgent care by myself and waiting, and waiting for the doctor to come back about my concussion results. Never would have imagined mm-hmm. that all this was connected and that a brain tumor would be the cause. And I had never even think I heard about brain tumors. It's like, I mean, maybe once in a while, but you never yeah. think that, like, you know, and it's, it's interesting now going through it because I'm more conscious to things with other people and you hear about things more. It's, it's interesting. But at that moment, you know, I'm sitting there by myself just waiting for a concussion report to come back. And, um, yeah, he comes in, tells me, and it just like everything shut down. And it was just like a shock. And, the best way I can word it is like, you know, people talk about out of body experiences and like you're there, but you're like not really there. You're like hovering over the situation mm-hmm. yourself and everything just shut down. I, I stopped listening and I just was like, man, like I'm about to die. Like I have a brain tumor and I just started living my dream, like and beyond my dream. And I'm, you know, I'm not even that old. Like, what do I do with my things? Like, how do I tell my friends or family? Like, and I remember asking him, like, hey, like, so am I ever going to be able to ride again? And he was like, you'll be lucky to walk again. And that was literally what the first doctor wow. told me. And I just, yeah, I just was in terrible shock and just kind of, I actually got up and I just, you know, refused the uh, the nurses and stuff trying to tell me to stay. And I just walked out and just sat in my car. Wow. How, what's the process after that, you know, because shock is such a, you know, when anything big happens in your life, you know, you're in this state of shock, but then what was next? Because you, when he told you that you would never walk again, it sounds to me like you didn't really believe that. Yeah. At that time, in that moment specifically, I kind of was influenced by what he was saying. Cause again, this was a medical professional okay. telling me something like they know more than me. I'm just a civilian, you know, if you want to word it that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, coming out of the office, I just went and sat down in my car and that was like the, the next steps were just, I tried to get my composure and to call my mom, that was the first thing. And I just couldn't talk for like five minutes. And it it was just this, I don't know, I've, I've only felt that way one other time and that was more recently, but um, it was just this, I can't believe what's happening to me and I'm about to die, like all these negative feelings and I just, you know, she instantly knew, and then I, you know, finally could get you know, myself together to talk, right. and from there on, it was just, you know, trying to let friends and family know, and then just talking to other neurologists, and then found my surgeon at Duke University, Dr. Alan Friedman, and I had a shift in perspective 
uh, with two things. One, the BMX community, friends and family, whether they've gone through similar, worse, or better, however you want to wear it, like anything, and then let me know, hey, man, it's going to be all right. We're here. We're supporting you. We, you know, we're wishing you all the love, and you know, you're going to be okay. And then talking to the surgeon and him being like, all right, this is pretty large, you know, and he was, he was very funny, he's a very dry person, but <laughs> like, so that's a big tumor, all right, and just like, you could see he's kind of excited about the surgery, but just like super confident in, you know, taking care of it, getting it out, and then getting me back to riding, and then it was those two things that like, I turned all that fear and negativity into fuel and motivation to think about what I wanted in my life. I'm 21, I'm living my dream, I'm friends with Dave Mayer. He actually came over to my house to tell me, like, to have a talk, like a prep, like a pep talk with me about it, and I was like, all right, I can think about, and I wasn't conscious of this, but this is like how I was thinking, I was like, I can think about this in a negative manner, and like, oh, like, I'm never gonna be able to ride again, and the surgery may go well or not, be all afraid, or I can think about what I'm doing now, what I wanna continue doing, and all the life I have left to live, mm. and that's, that's all that I focused on, and, I was just super confident going to the surgery, not like cocky, but just like, you know, just, just positive. And I had, you know, my friends and family there and I just, yeah, I turned it all into motivation and fuel for the vision I had for my life that I set out to do when I was a young kid. And then I was living in that moment. Whew. Chills, chills, seriously about <laughs> you talking about that was your tattoo. So to explain your tattoo, was your tattoo something you had before this or after this? Because that, you know, what you're saying right there is something that you live out. And I've, I saw a tattoo that you have on your arms that says just that. Yeah, I think it was six years later. So I was 27 when I got the tattoo. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was about two years ago. And um, across my right forearm to my left forearm, it says um, on the right, uh, fear is just a thought. And on the left, thoughts can be changed. And that's just my perspective on so many aspects of life, whether it's BMX or brain tumors or, you know, other injuries and, um, you know, anything to do with like any part of life, you know, and it comes to this analogy that a friend of mine shared with me a while ago and it's um, or an acronym and it's called TEAR, T-E-A-R. And it starts with thoughts, emotions, actions, and then results or reality, whichever one you prefer. So if you look at it as fear is an emotion, an emotional response that comes from a thought that you, you know, have in your mind. So if you can figure out, you know, how to change your thoughts, you can change the emotional response you have. Therefore, you take new action, and then that manifests a new result or a reality. So when it comes to fear, the easiest thing for me to relate to is BMX and tricks. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time you go to do a trick, whether it's in the foam pit or on a real ramp, it doesn't matter. You have these fears come into play, and then, you know, what are they coming from? Or maybe you saw something happen before, and now you're thinking about what could go wrong, or it's unknown. So, you know, the ego steps in, tries to protect us, and so if you can really focus your thoughts onto what you want and the desired result, you create a new emotional possibility. Therefore, you take new action, whether you call it courage or determination, and then you get a new result. And so, yeah, fears is a thought. Thoughts can be changed. It's just my perspective on, um, you know, emotional responses in life and obstacles and, you know, facing them head on and mm-hmm. getting the results that you want in your life rather than living in fear. And we're so much more in control of what we think and what we think has a you know, an influence on how our body works physiologically, right? It, it does create different hormones that it releases into our body. And then that creates different reactions within our, 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 even, you know, internally. So it's, it's crazy to think what you're just saying there too, right? You know, if you're, you're choosing what you're thinking and you're, you're, mi- you're mindful about what you're thinking, it not only helps you mentally, but it helps your body physically as well. Oh, yeah, of course. The mind and body connection is so important because, like you said, like, you know, the hormone cortisol is life-saving, but if you have it chronically going through your system all the time, it's very damaging. Right. Yes. Very damaging. Um, so the the recovery from this, so you had surgery, and was it, you know, what square are you starting at? Are you learning to walk again? What was the, what was the intense, the... Um, results of surgery as far as physically to your body so surgery was meant to be four hours it took six because once they get in there they realized it was wrapped around a main artery and optic nerve so they had to take their time with that but then recovery was i woke up the first time in a year or two without pain and granted oh. i was on pain meds but even as they wore off i still wasn't in pain 
and it was amazing. And I could see, I could move, I could hear, I could taste, I could smell. Like I wasn't paralyzed. Like the paperwork I had to sign said it was a common uh, risk and I was alive. But uh, recovery was just the first two days when I was there. I got released on day two, but they said in order for me to go home, I just need to be able to walk on my own, go up the stairs fine, and you know some other tests. And I was able to do that day one, and I was determined to make sure at least I even you know faked it I could, but I, I could do it pretty well. But um, they're like, all right, let's give it another day. Let's see how you're doing then, mm-hmm. and then we'll see. So, you know, I was home end of day two after surgery, and. From there on, it was just four weeks of just not getting my heart rate up too high, um, not bumping my head, which I did twice, and it, it scared me so much. Yeah. Um, but just really just resting and just taking time to recover. And then after that, you know, I went in for a month uh, follow-up scan. The skull surprisingly only takes four weeks to fuse back together. Wow. Surgeon said everything looked great. I thought I was out for the whole year before I had surgery. I the recovery process but it was four weeks and they said let's just take another week you know just kind of get in the swing of things but then you can start riding again what? and that was just me just riding um around on the road you know my road bike and just kind of cruising mm-hmm. and then week by week it was you know next week got a helmet on well i had a helmet on of course riding the bike but i got my other helmet on right pads, and then just started rolling around on the ramps and that honestly the trick started coming back fairly quick but spinning and flipping was so weird for weeks it took me a good portion of that year to get back to feeling 100 percent confident and my you know balance coordination but spinning and flipping took me a good couple of weeks to get you know back to normal right well probably too just because of your balance was you know your balance you were you mentioned like your vision was off it probably took a while to readjust to not only the balance part of things but that same mental aspect too, like you were okay and you could do it. And it's something that I think anybody going through an injury or recovery has to convince themselves of, right? Like I'm okay to do this. I can do this. I'm strong enough. I'm capable. All those little things you say to yourself. And I actually never thought of that. That's interesting. I always thought I was like the obvious, like I just have my head cut open and like my brain manipulated. Like maybe that's why. But I never (laughs) thought about how I had to, adjust my coordination and everything before the surgery and then after how it was like readjusting not just because of the surgery but because of like oh yeah my other you know adjustments so that's i've never thought of it that way Hmm. that's interesting good thing you're on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) um so you so you got back to writing and i know that things weren't like smooth sailing after then but um you know how long did you ride before in I don't know how to intro this next part, right? Because unfortunately you found out that you had another tumor or two other tumors, correct? Yeah, two. So, I mean, what was the time lapse between those two? And how do you, you know, I've been at the place where I tore my ACL twice in a year and like trying to convince myself that I could do it again or like, oh my gosh, I have to go through this again. That's a feeling that I don't think a lot of people... You know, it's it's hard to relate to that feeling, but you had that twice with a a brain tumor, which is, you know, so much different than an ACL. Like, I'm not even going to compare the two. So what's interesting about this whole concept of injuries and mind, like mindfulness or, you know, mental strength, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. you know, I think action sports, I mean, any kind of sport, any kind of athlete sees this more consciously than someone that's not athletic or doesn't do something, do something that's high performing and competitive. But when you fall down or you get an injury, like as cliche as it is, like you train yourself over time hmm. to accept that as a part of your life because of what you're pursuing. And it's just, to me, I view it as just an obstacle. Like it's just a speed bump. So I've always, you know, since a little kid getting cuts and scrapes and then with bikes and, you know, other injuries, you know, like, okay, how long can I get, do I need to wait till I can do this again? And like, cause like so set on doing it. So, I think that was also one thing that really helped me with the brain tumor diagnosis originally was just after the fear of death and changing that to, okay, like people survive this, this is, you know, it's risky, mm-hmm. but we'll see how it goes. It was just like, all right, now when can I ride? In day one, it was like, all right, how long until I can ride? And so that, that, that's one thing. And then leading up to the second diagnosis, that was, so April of 2010 was the original surgery. 
November of, or September of 2012, I got re-diagnosed with two regrowth of the tumor, and they said it was because of the artery complications. They couldn't risk hitting it, so it was some residual cell growth. Either way, it's not good. But the surgeon said I didn't need surgery because it was not, like, it was just the same scenario again. It was just too much risk, to, especially for the size of them. So right. he suggested radiation. Now I'm in India doing demos at this time when I get this, this news. So I'm freaking out. Like, should I come home? Should I wait? And he says, no, it's fine. We'll just assess when you get home. Finish your trip. And I didn't like radiation, so I did a lot of searching on Google, and I came across gamma knife radio surgery or radio treatment. And again, instantly, I was like, all right, this says surgery. He said not to have surgery. It says gamma knife surgery. Did some more research, and it's basically, to picture this, it's basically an MRI that does its treatment, but you don't hear anything like an MRI. So it's just, it's not, you know, it's more pleasant than an MRI. Right. Right. But you don't feel anything. You don't hear anything. You just... You know, uh, because I had two areas, I went in, I went in and out a few different times to get the treatment, but it was like 45 minutes all said and done. And with that, it was just again, it was like the same feelings popped up, but it didn't last as long. And it, the other feelings of motivation and fuel, like I just started watching videos, like videos I filmed in the past, but competing or just web videos we've done or DVDs, and just like visualizing myself getting past this. And I told myself, I was like, I did this once. This isn't as bad so I can do it again. And then when I found out Gamma Knife and the success rates and its outpatient procedure, I was like, all right, this is gonna be good. And then November, 2012, went through and had the Gamma Knife and they shrunk for four years. But I think it was uh, a month after that, I started filming for a video just to let people know I'm okay, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not gonna, you know, lose my riding and right. I filmed at the time like, the best video I'd ever filmed and some never before done tricks and all sorts of stuff and then uh, March of 2013 there was a contest first contest of the year and I was like you know I had the most viewed video on the BMX website <clears throat> excuse me and just feeling pumped after you know going through this again I was stoked and I did something in qualifying I probably shouldn't have done yeah. and that's uh, that's when I, uh, sorry. You're right. That's when I um, put my foot out, twisted it, and then blew out my ACL. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> it's it's so crazy, huh, how sometimes we get to this, this high, because it, sound, it does sound like to me, like, you were a different writer when you came back from both of these brain tumors, right? Was there something different about the way that you wrote and the way that you appreciated what it was? Yeah, I just had this, um, you know, I was reading Lance Armstrong's books as well. That was a major help, but I was just like this newfound perspective and gratitude for life and just mm-hmm. let me put in some work and get back to where I was and like let's yeah. progress too. And, you yeah. know, I was a whole different writer. And it, it's interesting because I, I similarly tore my ACL when I was at the top of my game too, you know, playing really well, scoring goals with the national team. And it just seems like nothing could go wrong, right? And then it's one little thing that you never would have expected or you never would have done. Like, you probably would have never done that before. Like, just put your leg out the way that you did. And um, do you think that going through what you went through with your brain tumors and, um, you know, at that point you were living with three active brain tumors, correct? At that point, it was just two. The so two. the original surgery was to remove the large one, and okay. two spots grew back. Because grew back. Of okay. So you're living with two brain tumors. So you're constantly, you know, in this state of like, I'm overcoming, right? I'm, I'm gonna get through this. Do you feel like the what you learned through those surgery, that surgery, and the brain tumors helped you in how you mentally faced this ACL injury? Um. I think it helped a little bit, but I think at that point I was already still, like I said, in that BMX mindset, which is kind of like sad to think about. But I just viewed my body as some kind of machine, and how, all right, here's an injury. What's like? What's the process? How long? You know, what do we do? Okay, this sucks, but I'll be back. And but that being said, I think you know, obviously going through the brain tumor situation, like the surgery and then the gamma knife, like those two things are so like catastrophic. I think that it just increased my, like, and, and coming out positively and better than before, it yeah. just increased my my perspective of, like, all right, the body breaks, but it heals, so what's, what's the process? Like, how yeah. long? Yeah. 
what do you feel like was a key for you in your ACL recovery that maybe people look over or what did you find that really helped you through the process? So I went with two years without getting an MRI and surgery. I just was super stubborn. I took two months off after that contest, got ready for the next tour season and rode with a brace for two years. Now, I think the best thing I did to help me recover was started getting into the gym because that was never a thing for me and most AMX riders actually right. um, started getting really dialed in with my nutrition so my body had a chance at healing rather than all the crap I was consuming before mm-hmm. and then when I did decide to get an MRI it was September of 2015 that summer I had started training in the gym uh, with a friend of mine who's a personal trainer got me into doing that but then I was gone for three months doing a trip, and I was actually in one place while it's gone. So we had the gym. We were doing our performance and everything. When I came back to North Carolina, the park had hired two athletic trainers, one of which is now my girlfriend, and that's when we first met. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling her about it, and she was you know, sharing, obviously, her perspective and uh, laying out a plan. And I was like, okay, here's the thing. First contest of the year next year is in May. I know this takes about six months of a recovery process. If I can get my surgery before Thanksgiving, I'll go through with it. If not, I'm going to wait till next year because uh, I finally got the MRI results, so I knew it was wrong. And my doctor said I did such a good job with training in the gym, but also just our sport in general. We developed really strong hamstrings. He said it like right. overcompensated for the ACL, and mm-hmm. that's why I was able to ride. And we don't do cutting or anything. We're just straightforward. So I'll be all right. I'll go through with it. Got, actually got the date scheduled and everything for November 10th. And so what I think the best thing was, was my ability at the time, most people aren't in this situation, but to do prehab. So I was doing the training, you know, in the gym, like actually lifting and things. But with her, I was doing a lot of the stability work, getting those intricate small muscles dialed in, getting my, you know, core uh, strengthened even more. I was doing a lot of like blinded indo board exercises and all these things that mm-hmm. really building up my leg muscle because she explained to me that when you go through the surgery, you start to lose muscle after you, know, you come out and so we did a really good job on developing stability strength and uh, muscle mass and I think what really helped was after the surgery I was so dialed in with my nutrition and anti-inflammation that I came out didn't need pain meds at all my friend who had gone through it was like dude that's nerve blocks gonna wear off you're gonna need them but I had half the swelling normal like like normal um, knees or no, like people normally have mm-hmm. when they come out and I I, I tr- contribute that to all the work we did physically and then I did, you know, uh, biologically with my nutrition and inflammation. Mm-hmm. But, but then the next most important thing was is I did rehab and range of motion six days a week. And the only reason I didn't do it the seventh day was because uh, Jackie told me, you got to take a day off. To rest. <laughs> but I did everything by the book and I did some more that wasn't going to, you know, be detrimental. So I did as much as I could because I was going crazy you know I was yeah. going to watch yeah. so much Netflix and read so much and I was like I need to be moving and um, I think doing those small tedious steps leading up to getting to actually putting weight on my body on like a barbell or something like I think really doing that is what made a difference because two other riders at the park went through the same surgery a little bit before me and about the same time as me and they, they skipped it and then they retore theirs that same year and then one rider retoured again after that and then he doesn't ride anymore. So I think that that's really what helped was that diet, um, prehab and then following the rehab like to the T and some. And also resting. I know that yeah. that's like one of the hardest things for us, right? Because we are so, uh, we're sedentary those first few weeks or at least more than we're, we're used to as athletes. And I think we are just like, we want to do more. We want to do more, but the rest, your body is not ever able to like rebuild the muscle if you're not ever giving it the rest and the time away and the proper nutrition to allow the muscle to heal. So, um, all those things are so important. All of them are like little small wins, but one of the things I know that you've been really passionate about, and I don't know if it came right before your ACL injury or if it came more with your brain tumors, but is diet and what you choose and your nutrition, what you're putting into your body is important and like how did you become more curious about that and how do you feel like that changed your life really so i guess uh, i mean 
I don't know which one to start with. So, <laughs> after my original surgery, I watched a, a Netflix documentary called Food Matters. I haven't watched it in a bunch of years, so I don't know if I agree with the information since I've learned so much more since, But mm-hmm. and it was a long time ago. But that really clicked for me in the sense that they made the information so easy to digest and implement. Like, I was like, all right, so maybe I caused this because I'm not doing nearly anything of what they're saying. And I know a lot of the stuff I'm eating and drinking is bad. So let's, uh, let's make some changes. So I started doing that. And then the second diagnosis came around and gamma treatment and been learning a little bit more and making more changes. But it wasn't until after Gamma Knife when I read a book called Grain Brain by Dr. David Perlmutter, who's a neurologist and a fellow of American College of Nutrition. I think he's now like, on the board. But uh, he wrote that book as a focus for the brain in the context of you know Alzheimer's and dementia and autism, ADD, all this like you know brain disorders because his father um, at the time was still alive, but he was going through Alzheimer's and he was a neurosurgeon, like retired. So Dr. Perlmutter wrote this book about the grains, processed foods, sugars, alcohols, bad oils, and how they all damage you know, our cells to a degree, and then they leave us with chronic high blood um, sugar levels, and then how that directly correlates to harming the brain, and they're, no, they're like naming it type 3 diabetes when it comes to different you know, Alzheimer's or dementia stuff, and that really sparked a new passion to change and to cut out you know, the grains, the sugars, the alcohols, at least a massive effort Mm -hmm. and continued doing that and then learning more, sharing more. And then I got into a a Facebook conflict one day with someone who like got really angry with me just for sharing something I learned from a book from a doctor. And I didn't really know how to explain the process of the information I shared. And that really, you know, made me feel insecure and like question whether it was true or not. So then I was like, man, I need to learn more about this stuff because I want to help people, but I know a lot of people want to know how it works. And I, I do too. Yeah. So then I found this online uh, health coaching program to get a certification as a holistic health coach called the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And they're out of New York. You can go there if you live in New York. But they had so much interest from people around the world, so they made it an online program. So I went through with that. And when I was in that program, I got introduced to Dr. Mark Hyman and then a guy named Mark Sisson, who is like the – he's the founder of Primal Blueprint and like known as like the paleo godfather or something. And he was – advocating for exactly what Perlmutter was saying, you know, raise your fat, you know, healthy fats, cut your carbs and your sugars, just to, you know, non-starchy vegetables and sweet potato here and there, nuts and seeds, like get rid of the processed junk and the sugars. But Mark took it a step further and was like, you know, let's just eat, you know, meat, fish, fowl, eggs, beef, uh, non-starchy vegetables and lots of fat, you uh-huh. know? So then I uh, started, you know, following that for a little bit and then got introduced to the ketogenic diet. And what really made me interested in the ketogenic diet was what I was learning about its effects for um, people that have had concussions and what happens is like the blood glucose uh, like system of metabolizing in the brain just becomes dysfunctional and the brain can't utilize glucose even though you're eating it. So the byproducts of burning fat is called ketones. So ketosis is the state that you're in, but the brain can utilize those for fuel and can help heal it. And so that was interesting, as well as, you know, the research by so many different doctors now, like studying this about how ketones can repair the metabolic damage that high-carb diets have, and it can help, you know, reduce, if not eliminate, tumors and cancers. So my perspective on food started with how do I heal my brain, and Perlmutter was the catalyst of that, and it just led into, you know, different things with a ketogenic diet, but we're really stuck with that was when I got diagnosed for a third time with two new tumors on the opposite side of my brain in 2017. And I decided to implement that. I was already high fat, low carb, low sugar to a degree, but I wasn't mm-hmm. on any kind of structured plan. And then I just was like, man, like I just started researching more about keto and implementing it, fasting. And um, Perlmutter mentioned it a little bit in his book in 2013, but not more than like a page. And so I didn't really know how to implement it. And then I started learning more. Now he's, you know, promoting it more. And I'm there's so much information, but it was really that third diagnosis that put me into this 100% all in. I'm going to live a ketogenic lifestyle, and a year later, follow-up showed no progression with the tumors without medication, without surgery, without treatments, just changing and uh, being really disciplined with my diet. And I actually enjoy it, so it's, it's, it's interesting talking to people back like, isn't that hard to do or restrictive? And it's actually pretty liberating and enjoyable. So, yeah, um, yeah that's how that started. 
I'm glad you explained too that you were diagnosed with two new tumors and then there was no growth in your tumors and I think that's really um, important to note because you can make decisions every single day right that affect the at least you know that you're doing what you can to help affect your body in, in a positive way and to know that you went back in there a year later and nothing grew after these two new tumors popped up you knew that something you were doing was right right or a lot of little things that you were doing were right and I think nutrition for me is one of the biggest steps that people skip over when talking about especially ACL recovery you know we talked a little bit about your ACL recovery but um any kind of traumatic injury to your to your body where it requires surgery or it requires healing it's it just nutrition is so key and I think it's hard it can be hard but I think you found a way to make it something that you know is liberating because you know how much it's helping your body yeah no 100% and I agree it can be hard but what helped me turn it from hard to just this is a way of life it's finding out my why my purpose and I've always asked the question why from growing up till now. And once I learned more about, you know, how your purpose is what really fuels your taking action, like your actions that you make, like when I figured out, like I started learning more, which I think is really key. Like you, I feel like everyone should learn a little bit about the basics of nutrition and how it impacts your health, like outside of school, but like later on. Because once I started learning that and learning these basic mechanisms of how things work, my why was I want to protect my brain. I don't want this to come back. I don't want to die. I want to be healthy. I want to ride my bike. I want to be happy. And I still live with tumors, but I know I can impact the quality of my life through my nutrition and my diet, uh, my fitness and my mindset to all combat, you know, my, the tumors I live with, like my why. And so I think it becomes, it, it shifts from hard to easy when there's clarity involved. If mm-hmm. there's not clarity and someone's just telling, like, that was told forever. Well, you should probably not eat this. You should probably eat this, do this, this, that. And I, I didn't care. I was young. I was healthy. I was in shape. But no one ever explained to me what could happen. And at the time, no one looked in my brain to see that I had a problem. And so I think it's really important that people figure out, like, what ultimately do you want in your life? And what happens if you don't take care of yourself? Because that's the hard thing with preventative medicine and, you know, holistic health is there's no way to measure. Yeah, in five years, you keep doing this, you're going to get this. Like, you can't tell. Yeah. But there's a lot of evidence now showing if you don't take care of yourself, one, yeah, you're not going to recover, especially if you're an athlete and you're injured, putting all this junk in your your body is not going to help and it's going to slow it down. But then two, like, if you want to prevent things from happening, that's my whole purpose of sharing my story is it took something as catastrophic as being told you're going to die if you yeah. don't make changes. Like, I don't want people to have to go through that because there's no reason to. And so I think, yeah, like, it's just, I think there needs to be a little bit of education out there, and that's my goal, what I share regularly on my social media and everything, and in person, and like conversations like this. But I think it, I think it's not hard. I think it's just choices that we make that we either shy away from learning or we dismiss it because we don't want to change. Change is hard. I think that's what's hard is change. But I think take prioritizing your health is just a choice, and I learned the hard way, and I don't think people need to. It's great. It's cool to see too how we're in similar boats as to things happen to us in our lives and we're here to like help other people to learn from maybe what we didn't know at the time and that that we know now right how many times do we hear when we're younger like if I knew that when I was your age I would have done it differently and I I feel like (laughs) it is so powerful and people say that for a reason that um you know as you grow up and life happens to you you start to understand how maybe you could have chose things differently and um it's really cool seeing you do what you're doing josh and helping so many people transform their lives and um, not get to that point where you got and um take action now so um it is really cool and i acknowledge you for for all that you're doing for so many people because it's it's a good thing awesome i really appreciate that yeah it's, a, it's an honor to be able to give back. And um, just briefly, what was really cool about July is I've been Skype coaching a 13-year-old BMX rider from Slovenia. Uh-huh. And then his father and him flew out to stay with me all of July to be you know training for BMX. And what was really cool is I got him to make some nutritional changes that he really enjoyed. And then he saw the connection with how much better he felt riding and was able to ride longer and harder. And like that just like 
that's like a dream come true. Like, like beyond anything I've done in my past, to have an impact on someone in the same sport as me at a young age like that and to be able to share my experiences and then, you know, resonate with it and implement it and enjoy it and benefit from it, like, that's that's amazing mm-hmm. to me. So that's just something I wanted to share was just how I love awesome that. that is. And you, and it's cool to share it too, because you know what it's like firsthand, not only with your brain tumors, but your ACL recovery from what we've talked about, it went pretty smoothly just because you did control a lot of the inflammation due to what you were uh, eating and the nutrition that you had. And how, how quickly did you get through that? And when were you back on a bike? Cause I know, I know you're back on a bike, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, let's see. I was back riding three months and three weeks later, and I was supposed to just not leave the ground like the pump track, like the rollers, like a racetrack, tires on the ground. That lasted about a day, and then I just felt so good and strong. I just was just jumping, and no tricks or anything. But we uh, month four, I started doing tricks. Month five, I won a contest, the first contest back, and the best trick. And month six or seven ish, somewhere around there, I played top three at a, uh, the FIES World Championship contest, like first, my first part of that tour, but it was the second contest of that tour of the year, and I was just blown away. And I had a hamstring graft, by the way. I, right. I um, talked to a lot of friends that had it and other ones, and I just went with that. But yeah, three months, three weeks, I was back riding my bike. Four months, I was back doing tricks. Five months, I was competing. Mm-hmm. So you're <laughs> still competing. We're about, what, a year and a half after that, almost two years after your initial injury, you're still competing. You're helping people um, choose, you know, better lifestyle choices as far as nutrition. You're training them uh, fitness-wise. But what if people are interested in this uh, keto diet and what you're kind of saying? I know that you've been working hard on creating a course to help people through um, what it means to live a keto lifestyle. Yeah, so for that, I um, yeah, we're getting ready to launch the online program where it comes with weekly group coaching calls so all the information's in there the videos the podcast style stuff like everything's in there the pdf and then once a week there's an opportunity for you know two or three hours you know i'm not gonna put time limit on it really but for everyone that's involved in that program to get on the call to talk with me to ask me questions and you know do whatever we gotta do and besides that i do private consulting with people and just you know they may come at a beginner's mindset they may be have doing it for a little while want to you know some troubleshooting whatever it may be but i really just I share that through all my social media and all my social media is, you know, the same name, just, uh, Josh Perry BMX. Yeah. But if people wanted to learn more and, you know, educate themselves and then maybe reach out to me later on or just share it with a you know, loved one, um, the three best books I could recommend are the ketogenic Bible by Dr. Ryan Lowry and Jacob Wilson and Ryan, I've connected and, um, he's, you know, helping me as a mentor and, I'm going to be helping a lot of the uh, ketogenic movement with them, and I'm really excited about that. But the ketogenic Bible, it's like anyone from a beginner to a you know doctor would enjoy that book. It's really well written and organized, and it's just easy to follow. Um, Grain Brain by Dr. David Perlmutter, of course. That's the book that changed my life and my direction and led me to keto. And then the third book would be for any athlete, any coach, any trainer, any, any doctor, like anyone that is – interested in sports performance and that would be the art and science of low car performance by dr jeff rolick and stephen finney and it's like a quick read it's not too long but it's very and they say this they want to make it short and sweet to the point but get some information get some studies and those two guys are by far like two of the top leader leading researchers in sports performance with low carb ketogenic eating so Mm -hmm. those three books are amazing resources and then um, the ketogenic.com website by you know, Dr. Lowry is another great resource, which they're going to have a lot of good stuff coming out. And I'm you know, happy to be a part of it and share all this. So anyone wants to you know, get some information other than, otherwise, you know, I'm always active on social media yep. and do my best. So yes. And I will tag, um, I will give them all of your, um, social media and your website and all that stuff. But one last thing I want to ask you before I ask our final question is, you know, you're giving back and you're trying to help people change their lifestyle, but you've also, um, you're starting something really cool as you're starting to launch a BMX tour where you're, or an, an event where you want to help raise money and awareness for, um, brain tumors. So I want you to have the opportunity to explain that a little bit more. 
Yeah, so that's um, that comes from two parts. One, my experience with doing BMX demos and shows for like 15 years. They're about like a 20, 30-minute show, depending on if there's choreography with other dancers or scooters or skateboards, things like that. But then also the Athlete Recovery Fund is a nonprofit, 501c3, that backs action sports professional athletes with medical care. And in 2010, when uh, I got diagnosed, they flew my family out, put them in hotels, they helped take care of my medical expenses that my health insurance didn't cover and all that great stuff. So when I get diagnosed a third time, they reached out just to see how I was doing. And I was like, hey man, like I'm doing great. Like I, at this point, this is just, which is interesting because I didn't mention this earlier, but this third diagnosis wasn't any like, oh, poor me, like why? Uh, all this stuff, it was, what do I do with this? How do I use this to help me and to help other people? And they were like, man, like, that's, that's great. Like if you need us for anything, you just let us know. Like we're not, we don't have any projects going on right now. We know you're trying to start a foundation, but we have a 501c3 that's active. So you just let us know. And then I talked to them, and I was like, "Hey, I got this idea. Like, I don't, I don't know, like, if it's gonna be a, a it be possible or be a quick thing, or if it may take a while. Either way, I want to take my experience of doing BMX demos, and I want to combine that with my passion for holistic health. You know, things like nutrition, of course, uh, fitness, meditation, uh, yoga, like all these things, and have workshops and have it all leading up to the final, you know, performance of a, you know, BMX show that's got music, you know, people performing music, you know, it's got choreography with dancers and other riders we're doing over and under, like all this cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But really the goal of this whole thing is twofold. One, education, you know, educate people on how easy and delicious it is to eat healthy and how you can implement it and how it's not this difficult thing in science project. It's just, you need a little bit of information and then some tips and tricks but then two is to raise funds for direct patient funding for brain tumor and brain injury patients there's lots of research and awareness which is all great but there's not enough in my eyes of a direct fund for patient support and i mean that like i want to partner with different sponsors and donations of course and all these things and i want to be able to have a pool of money like a scholarship for a patient that gets diagnosed they can reach out either for you know emotional support or healthy food you know like like I like it's a, it'll be a dream come true if Whole Foods would want to sponsor us because then we could do a year supply to Whole Foods for this family. Uh, it could be their rent. It could be, you know, where do I go for gamma knife? How do I get an MRI? Like any yeah. kind of funding they need help with, I want to be that change and I want to provide that for them. So that's the whole goal is it's a little bit about BMX, but it's really to spread the awareness of the healthy choices people can make and implement and then to raise funds for people that need it. Because I was in those shoes and it's not – a fun feeling it's a very stressful feeling especially for all the people involved and I just want to help make a change in that I just love hearing your passion and hearing your heart and how that's driving you to do um, you know make make change a good thing right make change for the better in a, a lot of different people's lives and um, yeah I you know we'll connect everything so if people want to reach out to you if they have ideas about how to help you with what you're moving forward with or if whole foods listens to this and they want to help you um we we can connect you guys via that but uh josh thanks so much last question i ask everybody is this podcast is called show your scars what does show your scars mean to you so first thank you for having me it's uh it's an honor and privilege to be able to share my story and to hopefully help that one person out there like if that happens then I'm, I'm stoked you know but um show your scars to me is I don't want to be too cliche but it's just like it's a sense of you know success like to me success isn't money and it's not owning a business or whatever and being famous like to be to, to be in a place where you are now like you're perfect where you are now and to have scars it's just a sho- like, a, like a showcase of your strength and you know you've been able to overcome obstacles and you're doing your thing now whether you're in a good spot a tight spot doesn't matter like you're past any hard challenge you've ever had like the hardest challenges you've had so being able to have something to reflect that and to you know bring perspective back in your life i think it's just it's a, it's a sign of success to anyone that's alive doing their thing or not doing their thing but just trying to do their thing you know they've gotten over their their you know most difficult hurdles in the past. So I think it's just a a time of strength. I love it. Josh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you and getting to know you a little bit more. Awesome. I appreciate your time, Jordan. And uh, yeah, like I said, thanks again for letting me share. 
I didn't lie, right? Josh is so inspirational in the way that he's facing life, he's facing his diagnosis, and doing anything he can to help his body perform. Really interested in the ketogenic diet now and kind of some of the things that he said. If you two are interested in, in getting connected with Josh or some more information about keto, I have linked the things that he spoke about in the podcast, in the show notes. So you can check it out there and get connected with Josh because he would love to hear from you guys. I'm sure very active on social media and helping people go and try to achieve their goals. So thank you, Josh, for your time. Thank you guys listening for your ears. I hope that this podcast today has inspired you to live your best life. Change one thing. It's all it takes, one thing at a time that can help you in your recovery process. Maybe it is your diet. Maybe it is your mindset. Maybe it is talking to someone when you know that you need a little bit more help. Whatever it is, know that throughout the whole thing, show your scars and me. I'm, I'm rooting you guys on. I know that you're capable of great things. So believe in yourself just like we believe in you and go out there and show your scars with pride.